I've been in this series talking about church is, and it's really been on my heart because we had a few things that were exposed through COVID. And, and I think we, we are perfect in season. I'll never forget my mom. I'm sitting down because I tend to uh, teach a little bit better when I sit down. Um, and I just want to be so precise. Um, that and, and so I just, I have this burden because the church as we know it has radically changed. And if we don't catch it, and don't correct it, we're going to pass it off to our next generation in a mess. And so I've started thinking generationally. You know, I'm 44 years young. Some of you that's young. Some of you that's old. To me, I still feel young. But you start to think generationally. Like, not what I'm doing. That's why I'm a legacy giver here at the church is because I'm just as much a part of building God's legacy as you are. Those are those that have acknowledged the gift of giving. I was a legacy giver before I ever started this church, and I'm a legacy giver now. Why? Because there are things that last, like in that building. I like giving to buildings. You know, because that building will, people will be saved in that building from now until Jesus comes, and everybody who gives to that, when people step into eternity because of that gift, you know, we get a reward for that. And so there's this, I'm thinking legacy, even with the church. They're like, well, you're going to pass it off? I, I mean, I've got to pass it off one day. Like, we got to, but if we're going to pass it off, how many want to pass off something that's strong or something that is fragile? Something that is straight or something that is wobbly, leaning? Like, I want to build and pass off something that is debt-free, that has great leaders, that has great biblical sound doctrine, that is built on the values of Jesus Christ himself. Like, that's the kind of church we need to pass off, but in order to pass it off, we got to build it. And so I've had this passion now. In fact, I was going to start the Unstuck and Unstoppable, but I'm just not going to do it. I feel led and called to do this for about four to six weeks, because as we are moving into the building, we got to have that foundation right to hold what God brings. And so my mom used to teach me a a principle. I never forget, I was frustrated. Uh, We lived behind each other. Phyllis and I bought two of the houses, and Steve, we bought two of the houses behind my mom. We had a real estate investment company, and so one day, I'll never forget, she walks across to the backyard, and I'm frustrated, and it had to do with something spiritual. I think I had just started a college and career uh, uh, gathering at Lamar. It was called Stan 318, and I was frustrated, and she said, hey, listen, like, it's okay to be frustrated, but just recognize if you're not producing the fruit that you want, that's okay, too, because you need to learn to be perfect in your season. And so, what that, she, she went on to tell a story of, you know, when you plant an apple tree, you don't immediately expect that apple tree to produce fruit, but you do expect the apple tree to grow to get strong, to be nourished, to become healthy. Well, then after a couple of years, what does that tree begin to produce? Apples, fruit. Well, I liken the church to that. Look, I reserve the right to get better. I haven't been fully matured as a pastor, and I'm growing in being a better pastor. And and so I could get frustrated and say, God, if I had built this thing right before the pandemic, and God just told me, he said, no, but you weren't ready. But you're ready now. Now's your time. Now's the season. That's why that book that I wrote came out. He's like, because now's the time. 
this is the season. And so I want us to be okay with what we built, but realize what we built is not where we're staying. We're going somewhere. We're building a church where God can put the full weight of His glory and set it in our church. Because we don't need another self-help seminar. We don't need a nice, I want to make you feel better place. We need a place where God comes in. Sometimes when God habits and inhabits this place, we feel really good. And sometimes we feel really bad. Because the conviction power of God falls in that place. And so I have to say, listen, you may feel good one week and not so good the next week. And you may laugh one week. I try to be funny. I'm not always funny. And, you know, but the reality is this. Every week you will come and experience the power of God. And if we can build a place like that, 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 that's what Jesus said. Then I will draw. When we lift him up, he will draw all men unto him. And that's his job. That's the church growth plan. And my concern is that in the 1960s, there was this church growth movement that was birthed. And there's nothing wrong with a a church growth movement, but it has produced some things that have caused great concern in me. Some things where I'm like, ah, because the church growth movement in the 1960s began this seeker movement where, hey, we want all the seekers to feel good and, and comfortable. And, and, and I think it had its place. And look, my life was touched by what's taken place. But the unintended consequences are really devastating and wreaking havoc on the church. So we have created the millennials and, you know, Gen Z. They look at God as a desperate boyfriend. Like, can I tell you, God is not a desperate boyfriend. Like, he's not hoping and wishing that you would come and draw near. Like, he's on a rescue mission because Jesus gave his life for you. But it's, it's not even about you, can I tell you? The real thing is, it's the reward of Jesus' sacrifice. So even you are all about him. What do you mean? Because he paid the price. He deserves what he paid for. He deserves the cost of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And so what we say is, yes, it's about you, but it's not really about you. And I think we've said the first without the latter, and we created a whole, it's this Christian Buddhist I just want to get better. And it begins this all about me and this and, and we wrap it up. And, and if we're not careful, then if you don't play this, the right song, I'm going to a different church. If you don't keep it at the right length, I'm going somewhere else. If you don't stop talking about money or if you don't stop talking about relationships, it's like, listen, I don't know about you. I was in the same church for 24 years and didn't move because it wasn't my choice. I didn't move until God told me to move, and it was confirmed through the leadership in my life. There's so many people that are easily deceived, and we've got to be careful because Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked. It deceives us. So the only thing that can expose it is the light of God's Word, His presence, and the authority that God places in our life. That's why you've got to be under authority. You got to say, hey, listen, I'm not moving unless my spiritual authority says so. Look, you're in a healthy house, not a perfect house, but a healthy house. Look, and I'm getting better. I'm in counseling. Some weeks I go twice a week. Listen, I'm doing everything I can to get better. Why? Because the better I am, the more healed I am, then we can be healed, healers, healing, broken people. And I'll tell you this, God even moves in in spite of dysfunctional leadership. 
I wasn't always around the most functional and healthy leadership, but I stayed submitted. And what I learned was there was no person, no leader, no organization that could hold back what God wanted to do in my life. And so I just stay faithful in the field, faithful where I'm supposed to be. I just I just stopped having opinions. Yeah, I know you've got an opinion, but can I tell you, if I listened to every one of your opinions, this church wouldn't be what it is. If we listened to every one of your thoughts and ideas, we wouldn't see God doing what he's doing. I know it's harsh, but what we got to do is say, God, it's your church, your idea, your thought. And then now they listen. Do we get better? Yes, absolutely. Do we care where we're making mistakes? Oh, absolutely. And I, I'll tell you, you're in a place of incredible feedback. We have AAR meetings. We're like, hey, how can we do it better? We invite people. But I think we got to be careful. This is not about a Yelp review. You come out of church, you're like, well, I I felt like it was it wasn't so great today. Well, okay. well, how about just worshiping, even if the sound doesn't sound good? How about worshiping, even if the haze doesn't work right? How about worshiping if all the lights go out? And I mean, that's where it's like, did we come to be entertained or did we come to worship? That's the kind of church we have to have. And I'm convinced. I mean, the Lord really, he blessed my heart with that building. You know, I, I feel like the, the, the building and the other things has given me just an incredible affirmation of we're right where we need to be. Can I tell you, when churches are closing down, God is expanding our church. And not even just a little, like the two, I mean, Bobby is our CFO and uh, he's been on this crazy journey with me. And I'm so glad to have Bobby. He's the most brilliant finance guy you'll ever, ever meet. Um, And he just keeps, he'd be like, Pastor, these numbers don't make sense. I said, I know they don't. And I'm a business guy. Trust me. he, 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 you know, him and I are looking, I said, but we're men of faith. I said, can we keep going? He said, we can keep going, but it doesn't look good. I'm like, okay, well, we keep going. I said, that's where, did we, did we make a mistake? No. Did we do something lavish or stupid? No. Well, then God started, what, what, with what God started as a miracle, he has to continue as a miracle. This thing's going to finish with a miracle. And, and then guess what? God gets all the glory. God gets all the praise. And we didn't make this decision in a vacuum. We have overseers and trustees. We hired consultants. Every light was green, 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 green. So when the devil starts to say red, 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 I don't believe the red of the devil. I believe the green of God and I'm going to keep moving, taking steps. Okay, God, hey, this is I I got off many a call and said, hey, God, this is your problem, not mine. I got off one call. It was the one where they doubled. I think Kevin was on that call and they doubled the construction costs and and got got with me. And I think it was even on the call. Pastor, you're, you're not as upset as we thought you would be. I said, well, there's some things happening in here. And I told him. What God began with a miracle, he's going to continue with a miracle. He's going to finish with a miracle. How's he going to do it? I said, no, 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 no. You're asking the wrong question. The question is, when do we need what we need? Why? Because then I can name the giant that's in front of me. Some of you are trying to fight giants that are out of order. The devil's got you fighting a giant in the future and you're letting the giant of now beat your life. I, they, all of them, they all want to say, hey, pastor, when are we going to do this? How, how are you getting the money? I said, that's God's job. 
What's the giant that I have to slay right now? It's X amount of dollars. Bobby, Kevin, staff team, overseers, intercessors. Here's the giant we've got to slay. We're calling this giant for God. We declare the resources. We declare the miracle. And you know what happened? One at a time, giants begin to fall. One at a time, giants were slayed. And that's why even now, listen, why would we say go when it might be a no-go? Because we're just taking that step of faith. We're not going to disqualify ourselves. Man, I don't even know where to go with this now. My God. So let me, let me just, I want, I want to give this to you. It's a foundation. So the unintended consequences of what we have, have seen, and, and we see the results of it. That, and let me tell you just the key that really spoke to me. And I'm just, I'm being very transparent. And I just think, I, I think you'd rather a pastor that's real than perfect. And so let me, it wasn't even the church that left that really began to tear my heart. It was the dream team. We went from 37, 38% of this church serving down to just a fraction. I mean, it might have been 10% or less. And so what that told me was, you know, because the disciples, here's how you knew who was a disciple when Jesus gave the reverse altar call. Drink my blood, eat my body. What was that? That was a test. I think COVID was a test. I think it was at that moment. And I'm not talking about online versus in person. I'm talking about, are you still here? Are you still online? Like, I know I got people that are still online. They're like, we're coming to the new building. We feel safer. That's awesome. You have stood the test. You are still here. But what about the hundreds that aren't? But think about what happened. The 12 said, where are we going? You've got the word of life. They understood the foundation. They were built on the right truth and principles. The crowd was built on the miracles, the feel good, the, hey, when I agree, when I understand. I always see people say, well, you know, I just just don't understand. I don't agree with God. Well, if I understood everything about God and agreed with everything, I, I would probably become the God. Which is what we see, right, is a Christian humanism as well. It's this humanistic idea that God fits in the box. Listen, God doesn't fit in the box. Go read the story of Job or somebody like Job. Either way, Job. And look at what he talks. He's like, Job, did you create the wind? Did you part the waves? Did you? So Job is complaining and God's like, I didn't see you breathe life. So anytime I got a complaint, that's what I go to Job. I'm like, Job, speak to me. Come on. I might need a job, so speak to me, baby. (laughs) Right? You didn't create heaven and earth. There's one God. We serve him. So why are we afraid? Why do we cower back? Why do we shrink in the midst of opposition? The church was built in the midst of persecution. The church was built dying and literally giving their lives for Jesus. How could they do that? Because they literally saw Jesus die on the cross and resurrect. So that's our faith journey, right? It's like, God, I didn't see it, but I know you're here. How many have had that salvation moment where you were spiritually dead and then the, the power and the presence of God resurrects your life? You go from spiritual death to alive in Christ. So we know we've had an experience. So I felt the Lord say, if you get the foundation right, you'll be able to hold the weight of my presence and glory. So we're going to get this foundation right. I really believe that building. And so what I'm saying, the Lord, I've been feeling this and sensing it. 
But there is this, I mean, I mean, I don't want to wreck everything that God's, you know, built through this. I'm, because, and I just felt like the Lord said, this is your sign. Like, we got, I got you. I need you to be a mouthpiece to this nation. I think that book that I wrote is going to do some amazing things. But I've already got the second book I'm working on. And it's what I talked about last weekend. Why? Because we've got to adjust the church. We've got to make sure we're building on the right foundation. And so this morning, there's a couple of foundational things and truths that we need to understand. The first one is the church is God's idea and he is in charge. This belongs to him. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. I know you think I am, but I'm not. He is. And the moment I stop following him is the moment I'll no longer be the pastor of this church. Now, I may stand in front of you, but Saul was king long after the anointing was taken away. And I'm telling you, I'm going to fight to stay in this place because Jesus Christ is the head of my life and this church. Ephesians 5.22 says, wives, submit. So this is the whole wives and husbands, but I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what he says. So look, wives... Submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the, that word there's ecclesia, that's the gathering, that's the, that's the big church in general, that's, that's Christians, that's what we're a part of right here. He said Christ is the head of the church, that's his body. So do you see how this works? And this is where your spiritual gifts begin to come into play. Like some of you have got the gift of serving and uh, or hospitality and uh, some of the shepherding and some of you are craftsmen. And those are all spiritual gifts. And those gifts determine what parts you play in the body. We've got eyes in here and ears in here and legs and toes. And, and, and I tend to, I'm a mouthpiece. That's what God's called me to do. And so we come together as his body. But don't kid yourself. He sits on top. He is the head of this church and he himself is Savior. And it says, now as the church submits to Christ. See, we, we talk a lot about wives submit to husbands, but do we talk a lot about churches submitting to God? Woo! What if I have to stand up and talk about the definition of marriage? Will you all leave me? I'm hoping not. But I'll tell you this, if nobody's here, if he tells me to say what I got to say, I'm going to say it. Why? Because he's the head of this church. Talk to me about gender identification. You tell me we're not going to listen. We didn't create people. We can't define people. Like there's going to yeah, if you think it's getting better, there are legislative laws right now on the books to throw pastors and Christians in jail if they talk against social issues. It's not a social issue. It's a biblical issue. And if we go to jail, my greatest prayer is that we're going to have a party in jail because we are all going. That we have built a church that says not only is pastor the mouthpiece, but I'm the mouthpiece. Am I going to judge? No, but I'm going to love. And the best way to love people is to love them with everything you've got and speak truth. The greatest hate we could ever have, which is is the flip of what the devil has said. It's hate speech. No, hate speech for the Christian is silence. The fact that we would not say a word as people die and go straight to hell so that we feel comfortable. That's hate speech. And the enemy has flipped it. 
So, so we say, I feel, I want to feel better on an earthly temporal timeline than I would to speak the truth in love. Listen, love, you never win an enemy. You've got to win a friend. So we're not opposing them. We come alongside of them. And so we come alongside and we speak truth and life and hope and love. And I'm telling you this, they may not like you, but they're going to want to hire you. They may not like you, but they're going to call you when they're in trouble. They may not like you, but they're going to look for you when time gets tough. Why? Because we are the church. I don't care if they like me, but they know that's a man of integrity. He does what he says he's going to do. He has values and morals and he stands up for what's right. I'm telling you, that's what the world is hungry for. And that's the kind of church that we've got to build. Here's my question. Is God building his church through us or are we building our church through him? That's what God asked me. You build my church? You build your church? Because my church might look a little different than what it looks like right now. God centered or us centered? Matthew 16, 18, now I say to you, you're Peter, this is Jesus speaking to disciples, and upon this rock I will build my church. I want you to know God is building his church. That's his greatest desire in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a hurricane, in the middle of all the craziness. He wants to build his church. And look what he says, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, listen, that's a good amen, but we buried Terry Williams Friday. Why would you say that, Pastor? Because we can hoot and holler here, but what happens when that's us? You just have to say, God, you're good, but I don't understand. What did he die from? Cancer. Can God heal cancer? He sure can. I've seen it. Why didn't he heal that? I don't know. But I do know this. Though Terry didn't receive healing on this side of eternity, he is with Jesus right now, and he wouldn't come back if he had the option to come back. So we got to live it out. You know, it can't just be this, oh yeah, no, no, but the devil's going to fight. Listen, my windows were busted out the other day, the day my manuscript was going to the final edit. I'm like, I've been living for 44 years. And both of my windows, one cracked, the other one smashed out. They didn't even steal anything. I'm like, yeah, devil, you are just, that's, uh-huh, okay, I got you. It's okay. God, you're good in the middle of this. It don't make sense. And you know what? I drove all morning. I'm like, it don't matter. Glass flying. Devil, you're defeated. I don't care. This book is going to touch people's lives. It's going to change the world. And I'm not stopping. Listen, some of you are going to get to Saturday this weekend to come serve. And the devil's going to do something stupid like that. And you're going to have a decision. You drive there with your busted window, which is what I did. I went to prayer with a busted window. And ain't nobody knew. I didn't say nothing until later when it was fixed. Why? The devil, he, listen, he knows what God will do through you when you show up. And he's scared of you. So here, here's a, here's, here, I'm just going to give you a couple, a couple of points real quick. God wants to build his church and he does it generationally. He does it generationally. Generationally. 
So look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 31, 32. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why that's important. It says, have you not read what it said to you by God? This is Jesus speaking in Matthew. Matthew's just quoting what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. So he's asking a question, don't you know that I'm a, I'm a tri-generational God? And why would, why would God say that? Because there has to be a receiving of the baton from the fathers as we pass the baton to the sons. And when I say sons, I'm talking daughters and sons and fathers and mothers. And here's what happened in this whole Jesus movement and the whole seeker movement. We didn't have fathers pass off the batons. Just telling you, we built kingdoms. I'm telling you, I pastored pastors all over this nation. I've coached church plant. You've got all these orphaned sons whose fathers wouldn't birth them out to legitimately advance God's kingdom because they wanted to keep them in this place to build theirs. So now what do we have? We have a choice. Do we repeat the sins of the father or do we recognize what they did well and celebrate it? what they didn't do so well and change it and make sure that as we pass it off to the next generation, we understand. See, if you're building it for you, you're willing to risk everything, even though it might not be God. Listen, I wouldn't have taken that risk on that building if we'd have known it was 7.3 million. Why? Because it would have stretched us too much. We can do it. But I'm, a, I, I'm all about, I was a part of a ministry that's not in existence anymore that touched millions of people all around the world. And it's because they stretch beyond their capacity. And so unless I have an affirmative from my team, my advisors, my overseers, and an absolute word from God, I'm not taking a leap like that. And I felt like in that meeting, God said, I gave you exactly what I knew you would step forward in. Now, here's the real amount. It's always been the real amount. I knew that, but I gave you this much because I knew where your faith was. Well, why would you do that? Because I'm thinking about the next generation being debt free. The next generation not being stretched too thin. The next generation that will stand on our shoulders. Some will help build what God is doing. And some will go and do it around the world. And we celebrate all because as a church, we get credit for that in heaven because we have invested in their lives building God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Got to think generationally. Think about this, too. When you think generationally, that means your family serves with you. Someone asks, how, 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 does, how do your family... Look, we don't have it all perfect. There are seasons where I'm like, God, help my family. Because there are seasons they don't get a whole lot of me. Like right now, there's so much. And it's like... But God told me two things. Number one, there's grace. And my pastor, Chris Hodges, said this. We don't separate life and ministry. That's why you see my kids at prayer at 6 a.m. through 21 days of prayer. Is it easy? Nope. Half the reason that's why I'm walking in late. But you know what? My kids are there. And at first they didn't like it. Sometimes they still don't. But you know what they say now? Hey, it's 21 days of prayer. We go pray. You don't separate church and, and life. You are the church. We do ministry together. We serve together. That's why the legacy offering, talk to your wife and your kids. We give together. We do everything together. And when it's together, then when the enemy puts pressure on our family, we hold the pressure together. 
And whatever you think that God is, that their kid's not getting, think about this. What God sows into your child because you're sowing into his house is something you will never see until they get older. I've never had a child say, man, I wish my mom would have never taken me to prayer. I've never had an adult say, man, I wish my parents would have never taken me to church. I laugh about it and clown about it, but you know what I know? My mom taking me to every revival service, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, every Wednesday night. We were at prayer. We went to youth camp. We did every single thing that that church offered. And I'm telling you, I hated it many times, but I'm better because of what she made me do recognizing there was a deposit being made because we were simply present. We do ministry together. We do life together. And I think this is what I'm going to do. We're, we're, we're right at time this morning. And so I, I'm just going to cut it off. You've got the notes and I'll come through. I may or may not preach it next weekend. I don't know. I'm going to let God speak to the, the, the second half of this. Well, let me do this. I'll, I'll, you guys give me just a couple of minutes. Look, I got give me seven or eight minutes. You do that for me. Let, let me do this. Here's the third thing. If we're going to build a foundation, we got to know the church is a movement, not an institution. So the church movement began 2000 years ago. The institution has been around forever. And that's what Jesus said. I didn't come to give you religion. You, you, you know, that's that's what Paul and them were. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're just an institution. That's why when Jesus stepped on the scene, it was unbelievable. He's not an official religious part of that institution. He's not a rabbi, per se. He was just a carpenter. And yet, what was it said about Jesus? He speaks with such authority and power. Why? Because it was a movement. Jesus was the movement. Do you understand that? Like, that, that's how come... Like, if you if you understand that, Eli, give me just a second, I'll bring you up in a second. But if you understand that, it changes. He was the movement. That's why the disciples were in such despair when he died on the cross. That's why they all went back to their old jobs, because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Well, what happens when the way, truth and life is hanging on a cross and dies? You ever thought about that? Which is how come every one of the disciples, except for Judas, who ends up hanging himself through his guilt and remorse, every one of them were willing to lay their life down physically, and all of them but John the Beloved actually laid down as martyrs. Philip was filleted alive. Can you imagine? They give you a chance to recant or die quickly, and they are filleting the skin off of his flesh. And he's like, I cannot. Why? Because the movement is not out there. He's in here. Holy Spirit is in me. I cannot deny what's in me. It would be like denying air and breath and life itself. You're part of a movement. It's not about just a service. It's like that, that's what's breaking my heart about the church now. We think it's about a church attendance. And here, and, and I told people, you leave, that's fine, go to another church. I get it. I just want you in church. But the ones that I talk, they're not even in church. They forget they are the movement that has died. It was fueled by the resurrection of Jesus. Look, Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And on the day, this is where the church's birth, the movement is birthed. Peter preaches and 3,000 were added to the church in one day. Hey, look, that movement went from 12. And this is actually a little bit more than that. It showed himself about four or 500. 
120 up in the room, but it went from a little to a lot overnight. Can I tell you, Anchor Ben, we're about to go from a little to a lot. Like God is doing, and then you say, well, what do you mean? I don't, I'm not quantifying it. I'm just telling you impact. 3,000 joined, and then two weeks later, so check it out, two weeks later, 5,000 men. That's just men, that's 4-4. Four, four. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So think about it, two weeks the church grew from about a couple hundred to 8,000. Quantify that growth. And now today, let me tell you about the, the movement you're a part of, 2.54 billion Christians worldwide. 2.54 billion. That's what we're, we're movement. We're just one of many great churches. And it continues to grow. And that's the, the last one. Eli, go ahead and come in. God wants his church to grow and expand. You got to know that people say, ah, you're all about numbers. Well, I don't even talk about numbers anymore, but I am all about numbers. I'm about the one marriage that is saved. I'm about the one sinner who was lost, who comes to Jesus. I'm about the one child who now has hope and is not going to commit suicide. I'm about the one person whose body was healed. I'm about the one teenager who now is bold to declare. I'm about the one. But if numbers didn't matter, Jesus wouldn't have counted this because this is God's word. He wouldn't have said 3,000 on one day. He wouldn't have said 5,000 men. He'd have just said a lot. A whole bunch. God counts what's important and so do we. It matters. It matters. Look, it just, I, I just want to encourage you because I don't, I'm not going to quantify what's going to happen. I'll tell you this. We have a part in deciding what's going to happen. So I, I, I never forget launching this church. I'm not a pastor. Like I wasn't raised, I'm, you know, I'd say I'm not a pastor. I'm a pastor now. I was raised in this generational legacy of pastors. Now my great-great-grandfather, two generations back, was a pastor. So God must have answered his prayer through me. But I didn't have nobody to pass it to me. And the one pastor I had orphaned me. And so I didn't have all these like, hey, you know, and it's like, OK, God, I'm just I'm, I'm going to do whatever. But I, I, I started reading Rick Warren and I'll never forget what Rick said. He said, I can't make the wave, but I can decide if I'm going to ride the wave. Like God's can I tell you, God's got a wave that's coming to our church. How big? I don't know. Can make the wave. Well, is it because you're marketing? No, nah, we're going to do some marketing. It's because the foundation's right and God realizes and sees that there's a church we're willing to go all in. He's like, I'm going to set my glory. I, he is looking for places to set his glory. Acts 2.47 And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm praying for the daily. Daily. Not weekends. Every weekend people give their life. Acts 11.26 for, So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians at Antioch. And the whole point of Christian now, it's, it's a you know, it's just a label. Back then it was like, you look like Christ, you must be a Christian. Christian. Do you look like Christ? Are we worthy of the label? Are we misrepresenting God? I think that's why the world doesn't want what, what, what Christianity is. And it's because there's been this massive rep misrepresentation of who God is. If, if they were to not have a term, would they say Christ in flesh? 
Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. I just want you to see it. So we've got to be sure. Are we building God's church correctly? I want to leave with the illustration. I shared a little bit of it last weekend. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's built in the 1200s, and I've been studying it. I think such an interesting picture. God speaks to me in pictures. And so as I began praying about this, I've been praying through it through sabbatical and probably for the last year. God just gave me, it was probably a couple of months ago, this picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So I'm like, well, I don't know nothing about it. But I was asking about the church, and I felt like he said, you know, it's leaning, Jim. It's leaning. I need you to straighten it up. I need you to readjust it. Okay? I can do that. So I started to read about it. It was built in the 1200s. It started in the 1200s. And then there was a year where there was 100 years of war, so the building stopped. And another generation picks it up. But it had started leaning right at the beginning of construction. And they recognized that it wasn't the steel structure, but it was actually the land and the soil that the foundation was sitting on. It was soft. And so as the weight settles on that land, it started to tilt. It had a five-degree lean. It wasn't that bad at first. It was about three degrees, and so they kept building. They actually, here's what was interesting in some of the study. They actually changed some of the other side to counterbalance the weight, so they built the structure improperly instead of fixing the problem of the foundation. Well, it's still leaning. So we'd come in and do patchwork. That's not going to fix the lean. That just keeps us from falling down. And so it was the soil, the condition of the soil. Well, guess what? We are the soil of the church. The hearts of men and women. and just like So our soil. So let's not go back to just the structure. Let's go back to the soil. And now what, what you know, it's, it's actually, they said, it's one of the most visited tourist tra- attractions in the world. And it's not because it's structurally sound, but because it has structural failure. People are going to look at the lean. Here's what I'm going to ask us. Let's don't let what God intended to be a movement become a tourist attraction. I know there's lots of people. That's not the gauge of success. Oh, you guys are growing. That's not the gauge of success. Could it be that at some moments we become nothing more than a tourist attraction? Look, I'm glad that I can be funny and I don't even think I'm that funny. I'm glad I can be powerful with my words, but if you just come to see how good I am, then we've missed it. If you've come to see how great the team worships, we missed it. But if we can come in here because we know God is going to visit, whether the lights work or not, whether the sound operates or not, whether the worship team sings it right or not, whether Pastor Jim nails the message or not, but just because God is worthy, that His glory is here. That's why we worship Him. That's why we go all in with Him. Then what will happen is what was built on a faulty foundation will be shored up. And I'm telling you, when people come, it'll not be because of us, but it'll be all because of God. That there's a church that's worthy of His presence. Would you stand up for me, please? We pray over you. Father, we thank You for today. God, I know... I feel like I'm preaching like a madman. 
But God, I just feel this so deep. God, I can't correct everything, but I can correct our church. And God, I'm asking where you reveal truth. We just reserve the right to get better. We're hungry for you. We're desperate for you. The church exists so that you can receive glory. God, we want to glorify you. Lord, when people walk in, even next week, God, as we go and serve, we become the hands and feet. God, let them experience you. God, when we sing, let them experience you. God, when we raise our hands, the yod, that's because it's what you like, not because what we feel comfortable with. When we sing loud, it's not because we think we got a great voice, it's because it's your preference. That if we don't cry out, the stones will cry out. God, when we serve, when we give, when we love, it's got nothing to do with us, and it's got everything to do with you. We praise you. We worship you. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, whether you're here on site or maybe you're online. You feel the presence of God, the power of God. Maybe you recognize right now that if you were to die after you leave this place that you don't have a relationship with God, you would end up in hell. Just like I talked about earlier, you recognize that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus to save you from the consequence of sin, which is hell and eternal separation from God. I want you to know you're in the right place. God's grace is available for you right now, right here. Pastor, what do I do? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says we will be saved. So I want to lead you in a prayer of surrender. In this moment, if that's you, and heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, I want I, I, I you to even take it a step further. Would you just raise your hand? I'm going to ask you to come up, but I do want you to just as a sign of surrender. God, that's me. I'm going all in. I want to surrender my life to you just right now. Surrendering it all. Yes. If you're online, I want you to say, that's me. Put your hand up. Say, that's me. Come on, man. It's so great. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died and rose again to wash away my sins. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for new life. Right now, I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name.